All right, stand with me as we read Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 7 through the end. So verse 19 this morning. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not, always, they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any, any of you in evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were, the, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right. So I told you a few weeks ago uh, when I, I taught on the spiritual warning of drifting spiritually that there were five total warnings in the book of Hebrews, right? So almost one uh, every third chapter, there's a warning from the author of Hebrews to this uh, storm-tossed church, most likely just being persecuted outside or inside of, of Rome. And so he gives these warnings, and, and let me tell you, for us, they are very practical. They're very real and relevant to our hearts today, just as they were back then when the letter of Hebrews was originally written. And I bring them as warnings uh, genuinely as a pastor who loves you, a pastor who cares for you, not as a pastor who wants to scare you or, or manipulate you or intimidate you, but I, I bring them pastorally as they're written here in Hebrews because they are, they're honest. They're sincere. They're warnings that are written with a conviction and with a passion. And, and, and listen, by the grace of God, I hope that even today I'm able to, to deliver an ounce of that to you. This is a serious warning to the church here, this group of believers, but also to us. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to keep them open because we're going to spend a lot of time in these verses here in, in Hebrews. And the very first thing I want you to see in verse 7 is the first word, right? What is it? Therefore, and you can keep the verses up behind me there, Jim. Therefore, now you and I have never read a book or a story that starts with the word therefore, right? You've never opened a page one and it been like, therefore, right? Why? What is the word therefore? Therefore is pointing backward to something that you have heard, that you've understood, that, that, that at least was written to you that you have read. And so we're kind of jumping midstream here. And it's one of the hard things about uh, preaching through books of the Bible is that we kind of get these bits and pieces, whereas when it originally would have been read, it would have been read all at once. And so these therefores were really backed up by what would have been just immediately read. Well, last week, um, Jake um, preached through how Jesus is better than Moses, right? 
And Moses has this incredible resume in the Old Testament. Right? Jake kind of went through that. It's like, wow. And the people revered him, rightly so. But the writer of Hebrews, what he's constantly trying to do is go, what? The, su- the, the subtitle to the message or to the, to, to the whole series is what? Jesus is better. As great as Moses is, Jesus is better. Okay? And so, therefore, in light of that, now this week, and I hope you heard this in, in my reading, is, is the author goes from, from talking about Jesus or talking about Moses and Jesus now to talking about the followers of Moses and the hopeful response and the different response he's desiring from the followers or disciples of Jesus. Okay? So last week was the comparison between Moses and Jesus, and this week is the followers, us, disciples of Jesus, versus the followers of Moses, right? Who are God's people, the Israelites, but the condition that they found themselves in. And so the warning today, it's repeated twice. It's repeated twice in this, this text. The warning today is this. Do not harden your heart to God. Do not harden your heart to God. That's the warning. So what the author of of Hebrews does here is he first gives, and this is the first point, he gives a history lesson. He gives a history lesson, and in this history lesson of the Israelites, he gives kind of a case study for a hard heart in the people of God. Okay, so if you look in your Bible like mine, probably there, there were some indentations. That means that they are quoting, that, that the writer of Hebrews is quoting from another section. This is very um, uh, familiar for us because the author has done this a ton. And he will continue to do this a ton through the book of Hebrews. And what he's quoting from here is Psalm 95. Okay? He's quoting from Psalm 95 and giving a history lesson and giving us a case study of what a hardened heart looks like. And so here's what I, I find interesting. And this won't be on the screen behind me, but Psalms is pretty easy to find in your Bible. So go to Psalm, open it right in the middle, and then go to Psalm 95. I think this is important enough for us to, to turn to it. Because he... It's interesting, the author of Hebrews picks up the middle of Psalm 95. He doesn't start at the beginning, right? It's like he doesn't even give us the full context of Psalm 95, even though these Jewish believers here in in the book of Hebrews would have known Psalm 95, but we probably don't know all of Psalm 95. So let's look at the beginning of Psalm 95. Just listen to it if you don't have it in front of you. This is Psalm 95. It says, it's it's, it's, it's a song of praise, It says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great, is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it in his hands, formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his land, right? And to all that, we say, amen, right? Amen. And it, it, it really is, 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 is fitting coming out of worship, is it not? Where we sing and we make a joyful to the noise to the Lord, where he is our God and we can be confident in him. We are sure of who he is. But what happens, and this is where the author of Hebrews picks verse, uh, chapter 95 up. In light of that, In light of who God is, in light of your confession, in light of your profession of faith, here is what I want you to hear. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, 
as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. Now back to Hebrews. Psalm 95, his warning coming out in light of the power, in light of the salvation, in light of the magnitude of who God is, do not harden your hearts toward God. See, this is the story and the history lesson that he's about to give, talking about the day of testing and the day of rebellion. That's what those two M words there, Meribah, Masa, they mean, testing and rebellion. And these go all the way back to Exodus chapter 17. If you remember Exodus uh, 14, is where Exodus 13, 14, is this incredible um, exodus from the land of Egypt by the Israelites from slavery. And many of you know this, but I want to give you a survey of your Old Testament here so that you understand what the author of Hebrews is saying. It's this exodus out of slavery from Egypt by the Israelites, and they come to what? The Red Sea. Remember that scene? And they're like, the, the Egyptians are coming behind them, wanting to kill them and bring them back into capture. And they're like, what do we do? Moses is leading them. And they stand there at the sea. And they're like, we're gone. We're good as gone. And what does Moses begin to do? He begins to lift his rod and his staff. He begins to call out to God. And what does the Lord do? He answers powerfully and mightily, right? This is the salvation moment for them. He parts the Red Sea and they walk across the Red Sea on dry land. They get to the other side, right? The Egyptians come up and the Red Sea still part and they try to go across. And what happens? The sea swallows them up, right? This is Exodus. And then Exodus 15, right? All the Israelites on the other side, looking back, realizing their great salvation in God. What do they do? The only proper and fitting response to salvation. They sing. It is this massive, look at it, Exodus 15. It's this massive worship service. And they begin to sing and they begin to rejoice God for his deliverance and his salvation. Exodus 16. Exodus 17. The tone of God's people, the Israelites, begin to change. They begin to grumble. God, where are you? Where are you? Are you even among us anymore, God? Two chapters ago, you were just singing, right? You just witnessed one of the most incredible acts of salvation and power of God in the world. And now here, just two chapters later, you're complaining and wondering, is God really among us? And the author of Hebrews is telling this Jewish Christian church, listen, their hearts were hardened. They saw the power of God. They witnessed it. They experienced it firsthand. However, it wasn't a short bit later until they had forgotten the power of God and now were complaining. And that complaining, hear me, that complaining is evidence of the condition of their heart. That complaining and grumbling flow from a hardened heart. A heart that has forgotten the power, the majesty, and the salvation of God. You see, verse 9 and 10 are very profound in Hebrews. Look at it. And this is in Psalm 95. The second part of verse 9 in Hebrews 3. He says that they saw my works for 40 years. He saw my works for 40 years. And then go to the bottom of verse 10. Yet they have not known my ways. They saw my works. Yet they don't know my ways. 
church, we, because we, it's easy for us to go, those silly Israelites. I can tell you if I walked across the, dead, the, 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 the Red Sea on dry land that I would never stop praising God. Really. Really. Yet we as believers in Christ have experienced the most radical transforming grace and mercy on the planet. Yet day after day we find ourselves doubting, wondering, grumbling. God, are you even, are you even here? God, do you even care about me? Do you even care about this world that you created? And God goes, look back. But what happens in our grumbling and complaining? Our heart begins to harden. And that's the warning. And you say, well, isn't this kind of harsh by God? Like, isn't this like a harsh move? I mean, so they got across, they begin to grumble. What does it say? Look at it in verse 10. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray. So don't think for a minute that God is being harsh. He sees them one time complain and be like, oh, you're hard-hearted people. You're not going to enter the promised land. No, what does it say? They what? How often? Always go astray. But listen, for the people of God, this was the constant refrain in their life was seeing God's power, was witnessing his, his miracles in their life, and then they constantly went astray. And the Bible says, in their constant refrain of straying from me, their hearts grew hard. Another picture that's being alluded to here is, is found in Numbers 13 and 14, where the 12 spies, and this is the history lesson, class, the 12 spies are sent into the promised land, right? That's where they were headed out of Egypt to the promised land that God had promised for them. Moses was leading them, and so they sent 12 spies into this land. If you know the story in Numbers, that they come back and the 12 spies go, oh man, this land, you can't even imagine. Yeah, it flows with milk and honey. It is beautiful. It's everything God said it would be. It's incredible. But then 10 of the 12 spies chirp up and go, but there are some really, really tall people in it. You're laughing, but that's what they say. They're really tall people in it, you know? They're not the size of Kyle. They're more like the size of the really tall guys, right? Where we look like grasshoppers to them. And the ten go, we shouldn't go. But there are two, Joshua and Caleb, who say, no, this is what God has provided. The same God who marched us across on dry ground will preserve us as we go where he has called us and provided us to go. And what happens the ten convinced the whole. And they don't go. If you know the story, you know that the Lord does not allow anyone under a certain age, or excuse me, over a certain age to go into the promised land. He does not allow Moses. He does not allow those ten spies. He only allows Joshua and Caleb with that generation, that other generation, the young generation, to go into the promised land. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened to the ways of God. Now, you may be wondering, um, is this talking about their salvation? Is this talking about them being God's people? And I want to show you Numbers 14, verse 20. Let's look at this. Look at this. And then the Lord said, because this is a moment right after Moses repents. 
he knows that he, he has messed up, that they've made the wrong decision. And the Lord says, I have pardoned according to your word. I've pardoned you. Israelites, I have forgiven you. However, what goes on in verses 21, 22, and 23, God still says you will not enter into the promised land. You will not have the rest because of your hard heart that I have given you. I have pardoned you. I have forgiven you of your sin. However, there is a consequence to your hardened heart. And you will not enter into the rest I had planned for you. Because you questioned me. Because you doubted me. Because of your unbelief. And another word for unbelief, hear me, is distrust. God's going, you're my people. I'm your Lord. I have proven myself over and over and over to you again. But yet, what happens? You don't trust me. You don't think I can handle the problem of really tall people in a land that I want to give you and then promise to give you? You see, the hardness of heart originates in unbelief. Hardness of heart for them and for us originates in not trusting which produces contempt for God and in turn shows itself in distinct behavioral patterns. You can trace this all the way through the Old Testament. And if you're honest with yourself, you can trace it all the way through your life and in my life when our hearts are growing hard to the things of God. Skepticism, grumbling, complaining, disunity, quarreling, in disobedience. Those are all behavioral evidences of our hearts being hardened to the voice and work of God, not trusting him. So hear me, church, we are wise to hold this very practical mirror of God's word up to our hearts this morning so that we can take an accurate reading of our spiritual pulse. Listen, I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation. Especially, uh, hear me, the tradition I grew up in, the tradition Sam and I grew up in, it was like every Sunday I felt like we were questioning, am I saved? Do I really know Christ? Am I, am I really secure in him? And then like there was this thing like we, we would, recomm- I, I bet I walked an aisle every Sunday. Like I was just another one of those chalk numbers to that pastor every week. Be like, bloop, bloop, bloop. We're not trying to get you to do that. But for some of you, you need to evaluate whether or not your heart has been hardened to the voice of God. For some of you, what this indicator will show is that you haven't really fully surrendered your heart to Christ, is that you haven't really put your faith and trust in him, that his grace actually hasn't captured your heart. And the word and the warning would be true for you as it is for disciples in this room. Do not harden your heart. Because there's a hardening of heart toward the justification of Christ, And there's a hardening of heart toward the sanctification. And sanctification just means the process of the Holy Spirit making us more like Jesus. And many of you maybe find yourself in that camp. This is the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Don't you realize that? Believer, Jesus Christ is in you. But he caveats it. Unless what? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. 
unless in your examination, and listen, this would be the grace of God, that the Holy Spirit illuminates the reality that you don't know Jesus this morning. That would be the greatest reality, that today is the day of salvation for you because the Holy Spirit has awakened your heart and your mind and your eyes to see Jesus for truly who he is. I don't care if you've been in church for 55 years. I don't care if this is your first Sunday. That would be the most amazing thing that could happen this morning is that Jesus wakes up someone's heart to the reality that they are without him and they need him. Don't harden your heart to the voice of God. Now, um, that should lead you to the question, how do I hear the voice of God? How do I hear God's voice? How, how do I hear this voice that it tells me, if I hear God's voice? Well, let's look back at verse 7. Hebrews, and I, I, we're going to be going, yes, back and forth, back and forth, all right? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, who says? The Holy Spirit. And what does he do next? He quotes scripture. How does the Holy Spirit speak primarily? The living word of God. So today, if anybody asks, did God speak in your, at the Parks Church? You bet he did. And how are you so confident in it? Because I got up here and I read Exodus chapter 3. That, or excuse me, Hebrews, I won't read Exodus chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, which is Psalm 95. It's what? The word of God. God has spoken. And God's word to you and to me this morning is if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts against him or it. How does the Holy Spirit primarily speak the word of God? So listen, every time you open the word of God, the scriptures, God is speaking. God is revealing. And if we are not responding to it, guess what's happening? Our hearts are growing harder and colder. And so listen to me. God is speaking today because his word was open and it was expounded. This is 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, right? All scripture is breathed out by God. Profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in all righteousness. That's how God speaks. Listen to his voice. Listen, this is one of the things that if we're not careful as a church, because of the way that we teach, this can just become religious routine, right? We preach through books of the Bible. We hear the text expounded. No, we hear God speaking to us through his word. And the response is on us, right? To not harden our hearts to God speaking. Well, you, Kyle, you say primarily the scriptures are how God speaks. Yes, there are other ways that God speaks. How about in those moments of, of our spiritual disciplines like prayer and silence and solitude. Where we're there communing with our Father. And the Holy Spirit nudges us and moves us. Bring something up in our minds and our hearts that are outside of us, right? You ever had those moments, right? And we come to the scriptures and we see, Lord, this lines up with you. This lines up with your character. This lines up with your nature. This lines up with who you are. This lines up with Jesus, the one you've given us to shape and model our lives around. That's how God speaks as well. If you're not in those contexts, in those places, some of you wonder, why, why, do we, why do we keep talking about the spiritual discipline so much? Because that, as believers, those are the rails that our lives run on toward God the Father. Those are the ones he's given us. So we hear from him. We, we hear that, that voice uh, of God calling out to us. Don't harden your heart. How about in gospel community? God uses the faith family, the community of faith 
to speak to us. Listen, this is not just an individual exercise. This is a communal thing. This is why Hebrews will later say, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. Because God's voice, God's God's speaking this morning is not just happening to you individually. It's happening to us as a faith family, as a corporate body. He is calling us somewhere. In this particular passage, he is warning us against something. Do not harden your hearts. Because listen, there can be a church collectively who has a hard heart. Right? Now listen, as we say, we'll never be corporately what we're not individually. Right? Right? But there can be a church, a faith family that can have a hard heart toward the voice of God and the things of God. And so our corporate warning is same as our individual warning. And here's the beauty of our God that he speaks. His voice is made known in gospel community. Even in those moments, just like what we had with Aaron and Drew Douglas and and during worship, being reminded that the word of God is this to us, that he never fails. That he's faithful, even in the waiting. He's faithful. God's present there. How do we hear God's voice through the scriptures, through the disciplines? We hear it in gospel community. You see, um, lest we think too highly of ourselves, this condition um, is also a condition that Jesus' own disciples wrestled through. I want you to look at this in in Mark chapter 8, because Jesus himself will give us a picture of what a hard heart looks like. And Jesus, aware of this, meaning they're grumbling and complaining, by the way, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? So he's asking his closest guys, are your hearts hardened? You see how important this warning is? That this is not just something going, yeah, I'm a believer, I mean, I, I, I love the Lord. Listen, this is a message for disciples. This is a message for the church at all times. Do you, are, are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five, the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, oh yeah, we remember, 12. Jesus goes, listen. I just fed thousands with a Lunchable and you're worried about what you're going to eat? That's the nature of our heart. It's like God provides. And I've seen this in in my own life and the lives around me. He provides in in, in health. He provides in in, in healing. He provides financially. He provides in, in all these different things. In the moment something doesn't go our way, what happens? We begin to grumble. We begin to complain. We begin to doubt. And this is where Jesus would roll up on the scene and go, wait a minute. Did you forget how many baskets you collected? Did you forget how it was? Oh, 12. How many guys were there? 12. Do you not remember how I provided for the, the thousands? And I also provided for you. Have you forgotten? Are your hearts that hard? See, Paul, in two of his letters, in talking about the Holy Spirit, he would say things like, do not quench the Spirit. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.19. In Ephesians 4, uh, verse 30, he would say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieving, quenching, what's the difference? 
There's a difference. You see, quenching is where you keep rejecting the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, as I said, in salvation, another day, later, when I'm older, when I've experienced this, when I have this, when I need this, push, push away. In sanctification, quenching looks like, mm, I'll change that later. I'll get to that later. And you push it away, pushing it away, searing it, where that voice grows so faint. That's what quenching means. Now, Ephesians 4 gives another word, grieving. Where you could say maybe this is the difference between acts of omission and acts of commission. Where grieving the Holy Spirit means you're participating in things you know are contradictory to the word of God and the voice of God. Look at it in, Hebrew, in Ephesians 4. I believe we have it there, Jim. You see here in verse 30, sandwiched. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Believer, do not grieve him. What grieves him? Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What grieves him? Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. What grieves the Holy Spirit? There's a list to start with. Put it away. Put it away so that your heart does not grow hardened to the things and the voice of God. And I'm thankful that the writer of Hebrews, what he does here sandwiched between Psalm 95 and repeating himself in verse 15, today if you hear the voice of, of God, do not harden your hearts toward it. I'm thankful he gives prevention and a cure for a hard heart. That he doesn't just leave us to go, hey, figure it out. But he actually helps us. He gives us instruction. And so the first thing is this, which I think I've made hopefully clear to you this morning. The first thing he says in, in verse 12 is this, take care, brothers, meaning guard your hearts. This is a common theme over and over in the pages of scripture. If you want to guard yourself from a hard heart, here's what you do. Guard your heart. Makes sense, doesn't it? Guard your heart from what, Kyle? Well, what we've seen here from our history lesson, grumbling and complaining I'm glad that that one's been solved in the church. Um, but how many know how easy this is to latch on to us? Particularly, and I wrote these, um, particularly in times of prolonged suffering, where it's like, Lord, where are you? Where's that answer? Where's your response? Where's, where's your presence, Right? Yeah, I saw you part of sea. Yeah, I saw. I, I know you've saved me, but where are you? Or how about in those seasons of repeated disappointment? You ever been there? Where it feels like you just face disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And maybe that's not even individually, that's culturally. Like you look out and you just survey the land and you're like, where are you, God? You see, it's easy to start to complain and grumble in those seasons particularly. Or how about guarding our hearts against dead, dead religiosity that leads to legalism? See, I'm pulling these from the history lesson. 
just going through religious routine, doing the do's and don'ts, right? And calling out those who don't follow the do's and don'ts. Right? Not in a holy way, not in a gospel community way, but in a judgmental way. Dead religiosity leading to legalism, that will lead to a hard heart every time. Or how about some of you who fall into this camp of cheap grace leading to licentiousness? This is what Paul will talk about in Romans, right? Where it's like, hey, I've been saved by grace. So why not keep on sinning so that grace may abound? And Paul will go, you don't get grace. You don't get grace. You don't understand it. And let me tell you, in your license, your heart will grow hard. It will grow hard to the voice of the Holy Spirit. His voice will be quenched and seared in your life. Hypocrisy. Guard your heart against hypocrisy. Living one way and believing another, professing one thing with your lips, but your life would show another, that is a surefire way for your heart to grow hard before the Lord. And probably the ultimate one we see in Scripture is pride. Pride. And we could all quote the verses, right, about pride. Pride being the root of this, pride being the root of that. Pride coming before the what? Fall, right? Yeah. I love what Obadiah 3 says. How often are we in Obadiah? It says that the pride of your heart has deceived you. The pride of your heart has deceived you. It's hardened your heart. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? What does this say? Go next. And the Lord says, this is what he says, I will bring you to the ground. That's Obadiah 3. Right? We can think about that culturally. We can think about that even as a nation, us individually. That rule applies a lot. Who can bring me to the ground? Who can touch me? God goes, I can. And it's your pride that has deceived you to think that you're untouchable. The next prevention, as we go quickly, I love this one because it points right in here, verse 13. But exhort one another every day. Church, hear it. We need each other. We need one another more than you believe we need one another. And we don't need just one another in name or theory to go, yeah, I'm part of the Park Church. No, we need like each other in one another's lives. You need us and we need you. And here's how we need you. Exhorting, not grumbling, not complaining, not bickering, not bringing disunity. Here's how we need you. Edifying, encouraging, spurring one another along toward Christ-likeness. Reminding us of God's ways, right? His power, his salvation, his reconciliation, what he has done for us. And also we need to be reminded of how we walk in light of his ways, right? So listen, we need each other. Right here in Hebrews 3, we see one of the cures to a hard heart is this, that you're in deep community with one another, exhorting each other. This isn't a solo project, praise God. Because if it's on my own, if I am on my own, I'm shot. I'm toast. Third, but exhort one another every day as it is called today, 
that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And quite possibly, this is where the majority of you find yourselves, being deceived by sin. Those things that I just listed under guarding your heart, sin has deceived you to believe that those things are actually benefiting you. That's the deceitfulness of sin, is that those things are actually building up the body. It's actually strengthening your heart. Know what it's doing. It's actually hardening your heart. And the writer of Hebrews is going, listen, you're being deceived by sin. Our enemy is crafty. What he wants to do is to promise you one thing, but here's what always happens with sin. It always delivers the direct opposite. Yeah, that's going to give you identity. That's going to give you value. That's going to solve your problem. Yeah, that's, gonna, that's going to meet the need that you want. No, 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 it doesn't. Only Christ can. Be on guard against the deceitfulness of sin. And last, so those were just preventions, right? Those were just preventions. This last one is the cure. This last one is the cure. I love what one author said. He's like, uh, Hebrews gives us an ounce of prevention and a pound of cure, right? And here's the cure. Hold fast, verse 14. Hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to Christ. This is the entire message of Hebrews. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Notice what verse 14, how he puts it. For we have come to share in Christ. Christ has saved you. He has redeemed you. He's given you his Holy Spirit inside of you. If indeed, what's the proof of our salvation? Endurance over time. Faithfulness over time. That's 1 John. That's the book of Hebrews. How do I know that I'm saved? Faithfulness over time. That your life proves the salvation that you have been given in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What is our original confidence? It's not that you do a really good job of guarding your heart. It's not that you're a really good participant in the gospel community. It's not that you have this really good intellect and theology. Listen, all those things are very good, but those things do not save you. What saves you, what's the cure for a hard heart is this, that Jesus Christ is the anchor of your life, is the one that you keep your eyes and your life fixated upon all the way. In the good times and in the trials, in those incredible moments of success, in those devastating moments of suffering, you hold firm to Christ. And listen, this doesn't mean hold fast like white knuckling it, like I've just got to hold on as tight as I can and endure. Remember, what the, remember how I defined unbelief as distrust? What is true belief in holding fast? It's trust. Holding fast means this, that you trust Jesus. Lord, I trust you. I'm holding firm by trusting you, by reminding my heart and my soul, by reminding this community that you're good in spite of any circumstance that may be around me. That's holding fast to Christ. That's holding fast. And that's the cure to a hard heart. And so listen to me. Some of you, you need to trust in Christ for the first time this morning. You need to put your faith and trust in him. Because if you would do what Paul says and examine your life honestly, you would say the things in my life do not add up to actually believing in Jesus. Christ followers in this room, 
Some of you, your hearts are absolutely hardened to the voice of God. And this morning, it's a wake up and a warning to you. Hear the voice of God calling you, beckoning you back to the Jesus who saved you and redeemed you to renew that confidence and that trust in him that he cares for you, that he loves you, and he is keeping you. He's keeping you. You're his. If today you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart against him. I want us just for a minute just to listen. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak. And if he has given you ears to hear, he will speak. He may say something that is very uncomfortable to you and you'll question it and in your questioning, you'll reject it. Others of you will have ears to hear it and it's going to change your life. It's going to transform you. God's word will do exactly what it says it'll do. It'll bring life and healing and freedom from years of pain and struggle and toil. Father, God, I thank you that your word is alive and active. It's not dead or stale, but it is the very thing that pierces our hearts. It's the very thing that can both diagnose and cure us. Lord, I ask that your spirit would speak mightily to the individuals of the Parks Church, to this faith family. God, I pray that your voice would speak to those in this room who need Jesus, maybe who have professed him before, but who need his saving power to reach in and transform their heart. God, I thank you for the imagery you give us in Ezekiel where you exchange our heart of stone for a heart of flesh. God, I thank you that you're doing that this morning. God, for those of us who are disciples, God, I'm asking that you would help us see you, Jesus, more clearly than we do. 
God, we could tell story after story of your power, seeing your might and your strength. But Lord, we could also tell story after story of where we doubted it, where we complained or grumbled or murmured like your people in the wilderness. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us for not trusting in you. Lord, I pray that you would begin to peel off the hard parts of our heart. You would make us more compassionate and more sympathetic, more caring and more loving. God, ultimately more like your son Jesus who laid down his very life for me and for us. God, I pray for us collectively as a church. God, that you would give us the faith to step out and obey your voice, to live lives that are um, curious to this world, that pique curiosity, lives that are willing to risk everything because we love you and trust you, Jesus. Lives that are willing to let everything go because we've received everything in Jesus. Lord, only you can do the heart work that we need, and so we're asking you to do it miraculously. Lord, I pray that you would teach us this week what it means to trust you and to hold fast to the confidence of our salvation, your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we're willing to go into the warnings with our eyes open and our hearts and our ears open to hear you because you're making us more like you. God, thank you for this community. May we sharpen each other for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.